Broadcasting Association presents the Old Fashioned Revival Hour, an international broadcast of the gospel. This gospel hour comes to you from the Municipal Auditorium at Long Beach, California. This is Daniel Fuller speaking.
brightest heavenly sunshine time here in the Long Beach Municipal Auditorium. And I want this wonderful group that is gathered here today to stand now and sing that beloved chorus, Heavenly Sunshine. I believe there's some 3,500 people here today on this Easter Sunday. All right, everyone standing, please, and sing through Heavenly Sunshine and turn around and shake hands with those about you. That's fine, but that's just a good warmer upper. So let's all sing into the microphone this time, out to the friends in Radio Land. Thank you very much, and you may be seated. Friends, we want to tell you again what an inspiration it is to us to receive your wonderful letters of encouragement, urging us to continue to proclaim the good news that Christ died and rose again, so that all that will might be saved. Your faithful cooperation in this ministry makes it possible for us to hold forth the good news over these many stations from week to week. So we will be looking for your letter this week. Send all mail to Charles E. Fuller, Post Office Box 123, Los Angeles, California. Thank you. 
benefit of those who did not hear our previous announcement, we are happy to advise that our 1952 Data Vacation Bible School material is now off the press and ready for shipping. If you are looking for Christ-centered material for your school, write today for our descriptive folder to Charles E. Fuller, Post Office Box 123, Los Angeles, California.
Before Mrs. Fuller reads from the letters, I think it would be wonderfully sweet of you all to sing that chorus in the sweet by and by. Would you love to sing that old song? Sing it for those that are on the sunset of life, for those that perhaps are just about ready to walk through the valley of the shadow death. There are lots of discouraged and hearts out in the radio audience. Many are going through deep waters and deep trials and fiery testing. And I'd like to have this great audience here at Long Beach just to sing it for those that are going through the hard experiences all together. In the to you, friends. This is an interesting uh, little magazine clipping that came to us, evidently from missionaries in Belgium. Midnight church service. Thursday midnight. We rub our eyes, grab our bathrobes, and grope around in the dark until we find the door, and then we hurriedly shuffle out into the hall and down the stairs. No, it's not a fire. We're going to hear a church service. We are virtually starved for an American service, so each Thursday at midnight, we join the friends downstairs around their radio and listen to the old-fashioned revival hour. We cannot tell you how good it is to hear our old familiar hymns and music, and most of all, to be able to understand every message, every word of the message, without bothering to translate it. That's interesting, isn't it? A good letter comes from missionaries in northern Nigeria, West Africa, saying that the broadcast comes in very fine and clear there, and it means so much to them so far from home. A lady very ill in Switzerland writes how she looks forward every Thursday night to the broadcast. It comes there from 12 midnight to 1 o'clock, but she hears it and finds great inspiration. And then a man writes from England that he accepted Christ as Savior the first time he heard the old-fashioned revival hour. Returning home late at night, a singer on the stage, he just turned on the radio and heard the way of salvation made plain, accepted Christ, and he's so glad that he did listen that night. An Irish lad, 19 years old, writes in the breezy way of youth his appreciation of the hour. Dear Dr. Fuller, for a year I have wanted to write to you, and now I'm going to do it. All the Christians here are so glad about your radio service. In this area, about six miles radius, 
We hear nothing but that program on Thursday night from Luxembourg. And Charles E. Fuller seems as well known as our next-door neighbor. Heavenly Sunshine has become a tune, a hit tune, among the Christians here. May God reach through you the ears of those who otherwise would never hear of salvation. A lady writes from Pennsylvania, our son Keith is stationed in Greenland in the Air Force, and he writes us that he often hears Reverend Fuller of California over the short wave, and he says, we like it. So you see, the lady continues, so you see God is using your voice, Mr. Fuller, a far ways, and our servicemen particularly do need it. And then this last letter is from a serviceman who writes from a hospital in Colorado. Dear Mr. Fuller, I thank my Lord I can hear my favorite program, though I have to sneak to do it. After nine, lights out and radios off in this hospital. But I put my little radio under my pillow, and I really drink in the whole service. The first time I heard of you was in Korea, when a friend sent me a copy of your heart-to-heart talks. That is such a helpful little paper. Please pray for us in the hospitals and for those men on the battlefields and elsewhere. And that is all for today, friends. It's a never, never lost. The cross is standard Hallelujah, hallelujah. Defying every blast. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The winds of hell have blown. The world is fate has Thank you.
two verses of number 113. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Remain standing for prayer. standing for prayer, please. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee that because Christ rose from the dead, that thou hast given to us who believe on him the power to walk in newness of life. And Father, we thank thee also that our hope of immortality and resurrection does not base itself simply upon our fickle fancy, but upon the fact that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And Father, we're thankful that he who said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, did rise from the dead. And, Father, we pray that those who feel under a load of sin or under a load of anxiety and worry, that they may learn to commit everything unto thee and to believe in thy Son, Jesus Christ. We pray especially for our servicemen in far-off Korea today, that thou wilt be with them and bless them. Bless those that are sick and wounded. Bless likewise those that are out on the battlefront today. We pray likewise for those who perhaps are in the prisoner of war camps behind the enemy lines. And be especially with those of their loved ones who are at home here in America. We pray also, Lord, in these closing days that thou wilt bring a great revival across the land. We pray that many may turn to Christ in this year. And we pray especially that thou wilt bless the colleges and universities of America, that in these days many may turn to Christ and find him to be a live option. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. 
Bible Hour brought to you by the Gospel Broadcasting Association from the Municipal Auditorium at Long Beach, California. Charles E. Fuller speaking.
Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 15.35, 1 Corinthians 15.35. Just before the message, I want to give a word of deep appreciation to the splendid musicians and singers upon the old-fashioned revival hour, to Rudy Atwood at the piano and George Broadbent at the organ, Leland Green, leader of the chorus choir and the splendid quartet, John Lundgren and Jack Coleman and Ken Brown and Art Jaisley. God bless you, men and women. 1 Corinthians 15.35 How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? False teaching concerning the resurrection of the believer's body had crept into the early Corinthian church. First, there was the flat denial of the bodily resurrection of Christ from among the dead, and as a result of that, second, the false teaching concerning the resurrection of the bodies of believers from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Holy Spirit, speaking through Paul, sets forth God's eternal truth concerning the resurrection of the body. First, of Christ's resurrection, bodily resurrection, and then second, the resurrection of all true believers' body from the dead. The line of teaching or false teaching prevalent in the early church in reference to the resurrection went something like this. If the body be not raised, then was Christ's body not raised. Then the resurrection was not a fact. And if the resurrection never occurred, then the redemption of man, which Christ came to accomplish, he failed to perform for his resurrection, was a demonstration of the perfection of his work on Calvary's cross. If Christ were not risen, sin was not put away, The gospel was not true. Our faith is then vain, empty, void, useless. The apostles were false witnesses, the believers of all men most miserable. Their loved ones whose body had fallen asleep had perished eternally. 
That's the line of false teaching. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle first defines and declares the gospel, and that that gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, rests upon two great eternal foundation stones. First, Calvary's cross, where Christ bare our sins in his own body on the tree, and second, upon the bodily resurrection of Christ, the firstfruits from among the dead. And after declaring that fact of Christ's resurrection, the Holy Spirit then proceeds to unfold the teaching concerning the resurrection of the bodies of believers. So we read, two questions are asked, very pertinent questions, and very important questions and very interesting questions. How are the dead raised up, and with what body or what kind of body do they come? And the balance of chapter 15 from verse 35 to the end is devoted to answering these two important questions. How are the dead raised up, and with what kind of a body do they come? But before we find God's answers to these questions, may we make it very, very, very plain that the teaching herein set forth does not apply to the unsaved and their bodies. Now mark that down. He's giving instructions here in the 15th of 1 Corinthians to the members of the body of Christ, all truly born-again believers. 1 Corinthians 15 does not instruct us as to the resurrection of the wicked dead. Briefly and quickly, God's Word sets forth very clearly that there will be two general resurrections. The first resurrection of those who die in the Lord, or the resurrection of the bodies of all true believers. And this resurrection will take place when Christ comes for his own. The second resurrection in point of time, at least, is a thousand years later, when all the wicked dead will be raised. All who have died in their sins, unrepentant, from the days of Adam and down to the end of time, will be raised and judged according to their sinful and damnable work and then cast into the lake of fire, which burneth forever. Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. Now the wicked dead, at that time at the second resurrection, will be, listen carefully, will be reunited to their sin-laden, sin-cursed bodies, remaining throughout the eternal ages to come filthy, vile, sinful, unrighteous, no second chance, no chance of escape, their destinies fixed forever. Revelation 21.8, But the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable and the murderers, and whoremongers and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelation 22:11. He that is unjust, that is unrighteous, still let him be unjust still. 
He which is filthy. And the word there means morally defiled. Let him be filthy or morally defiled down through the eternal ages to come. And the spiritual condition of every man at the time of death is fixed once for all, for all the eternal ages to come. Hence, God says, today, if you hear my voice, harden not your heart as in the day of provocation, but come now. Let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Let's meditate, however, upon the brighter side and find the answers to the two questions that are put forth in verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 15. How are the dead raised up? And with what kind of body do they come? The unrighteous shall perish. Flee away from the presence of God. In everlasting darkness. Now I'm talking to the members of the body of Christ. To everyone that's been reconciled by God through faith in Jesus Christ. Through Christ to God. And have been brought nigh by the precious blood. Keep always in mind that God is revealing truth concerning the resurrection of all believers. Those who have died in the Lord. As I have thought through and reread 1 Corinthians again, I have been struck with the many occurrences of the word body. B-O-D-Y. Forty-four times in 1 Corinthians this word occurs, and I believe it is the essential key that unlocks this marvelous epistle. For example, in 1 Corinthians 6, God warns the believers against the sins committed in the body, and then closes that great chapter by saying, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And any man that will defile that temple, God will deal with you. And then in chapter 7, instructing those who are united in the holy bonds of marriage on the proper use of the Bible, uh, of the body, And then in chapter 9, Paul says, I keep my body in subjection, lest at any time, having preached to others, I might become castaway, set on the sidelines, not usable. Chapter 10, all the believers are members of Christ's body. Chapter 11, instructing believers relative to the Lord's Supper to be discerning concerning the Lord's body. That is... Fellowship with those that are like mine, that are real members of the body of Christ and have no fellowship with the works of darkness. Chapter 12, members all one in Christ, yet differently placed in Christ's body. And now in chapter 15, concerning the resurrection of the believer's body. Eight times in 1 Corinthians. The word body occurs, and eight throughout the scriptures denotes resurrection, regeneration, a new beginning, the eighth being a new first on the musical scale. So eight is the beginning in the spiritual realm of a new life.
in his. Hence the word body occurring eight times in 1 Corinthians. Study your word. Study the Bible. And meditate upon it day and night. Now how are the dead raised up? And we might add when. Bear in mind that all this is in reference to the bodies of those who have died in the Lord. Now, when death, as we speak of it, comes to a believer and this last enemy that will be put under Christ's feet someday has done his deadly work, what happens? The soul and spirit depart to be with Christ, which is far better, absent from the body, at home with the Lord. And the earthly tabernacle in which that person lived so many years, that earthly tabernacle is laid away in the grave. Note now, please. The tabernacle, the body, is laid away in the grave to sleep. No such thing as soul sleep in God's Word. And that body is to sleep until the morn of the first resurrection. And in this connection, I like to read to you 1 Corinthians 5, a very precious passage of Scripture to me, because my own beloved mother, departing to be with Christ on a Sunday morning, how Father and I, the Saturday night previous, searched the Scriptures as to what would take place between death and resurrection. We especially reveled in 2 Corinthians 5, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle or tent were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heaven. And the moment that a believer leaves this earthly tabernacle, if the Lord tarry, he is clothed upon with a heavenly house, eternal, not made uh, with hands, but made by God, eternal in the heaven. Now note, First Thessalonians 4.13, I think we need to be often put in remembrance of these things. How are the dead raised? Lesson. For I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, which is the basis of the gospel, even so them which also sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, not any uh, speculation, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself, shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall arise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. How is he going to do it? How are the dead raised up? Listen to first chapter of Ephesians, verse 19, 20, and 21. 
And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above all principalities and power and might and dominion. Listen, the same mighty power that brought the Lord Jesus from the dead and that same mighty power that holds the hemispheres and the universes in his Ahalawi's hand, that same mighty power will be wrought in us who believe when Christ comes for his own. All right. All believers, when Jesus comes for his own, when that last soul is saved that completes that body, composed of the called out ones, he's coming. For behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be chained in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be chained. Read the balance of the 15th of 1 Corinthians. And then in Philippians, the third chapter, verse 20, uh, 21, a very precious passage of Scripture. How that the Lord is coming someday, here it is, who shall fashion this body of our humiliation, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, our bodies will be changed. Now the second question briefly. What kind of a body will a believer come forth? First Corinthians 15 from verse 35 answers this question. And he says there in verse 36, I just have to stop and give it to you. Thou fool, what does it mean? It means the one that is not instructed, the senseless one. And he's bringing you to shame, fellow member of the body of Christ, the fact that you do not search the Scriptures and know what God's Word teaches. Thou fool! Thou in one that is not instructed. Thou ignorant one concerning these things. And he goes on. And we notice a little bit further four contrasts. Beginning with verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Now here it is. This body, when death takes place, will be sown in corruption. And notice also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. And so we read that corruption must put on incorruption. The second contrast. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Beloved, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now notice, it is sown in weakness, 
Read the 8th of Romans. How in this tabernacle we do groan, travailing in pain, under the curse, waiting for what? The redemption of the body. And this body is laid away, sown in weakness, helpless, under the grip of the last enemy. It's to be raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And I wish I had time to close with the latter part of the Gospel of John. I'll just have to give you the hints. Beginning with the 20th chapter of that marvelous Gospel. Here it is, the 19th verse. What kind of a body does Christ have? At the resurrection, you read there, beginning in the 19th verse, his first appearance to the disciples in the upper room, the doors being shut. Suddenly, he came in their midst and stood before them and and said, Peace, be still, and breathe upon them the Holy Spirit. And a little later to Thomas, he says, Thomas, reach forth thy hand and... Put thy fingers in the marks of Calvary. And Christ, body, flesh, and bone, yet spiritual, able to transport himself through the natural barriers without any hesitancy. And then, when the miraculous draft of fishes, the third appearance in the 21st chapter. Oh, it's marvelous. How he came and he walked and he talked with his disciples in his spiritual body. And then suddenly out on the hills and the slopes of Mount Olive. Suddenly as he was talking to his disciples. We find these words. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld. He was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And they said, This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So, supposing death comes to you if you're in Christ Jesus, you'll depart to be with Christ, which is far better absent from the body at home with the Lord, clothed upon with the eternal house, not made with hands eternal in the heavens, your body will be laid away to sleep until the morn of the first resurrection. And then you'll become clothed upon with his, with that glorious body, like under his eternal glorious body. This is only to those that are in Christ Jesus. To you outside of Christ, there's no hope. You're without God and without Christ. It'll be the blackness of eternal separation forever unless now you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And whosoever will may come. Let's bow our heads in prayer. No one stirring, please. Every head bowed, serious before God, 
Are you a member of the body of Christ? If not, you're lost, dead in trespasses and sin. But God says, come now. Come all that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Will you come? For him that cometh, I will in no wise cast out. To you in the radio audience, kneel where you are. Look up into the Father's face and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me for Christ's sake. God will hear your prayer and receive you. I'm pressed for time. How many in this wonderful, visible audience in Long Beach will quickly put their hands up and say, Brother Fuller, pray for me. God bless you. God bless you. I need Christ as my personal Savior today. God bless you. God bless you over there. Anyone else in the lower floor? God bless you back there. Hands going up. Up in the balconies to the right. Anyone up there? Put your hand up. Yes, God bless you. In the balcony to the rear. Yes, several hands. The balconies to the left. We'll continue. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. We'll continue the altar call in a few moments. Every head bowed. This is Charles E. Fuller bidding you goodbye and God's richest blessing upon you. Jesus, I come.